everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, they're big, they're bad, they want you to forget about The Last Guardian, Shadow of the Colossus has returned to consoles, Far Cry DLC is quite literally all over the place, Hat or Head, it's been a weird fucking week in the Mushroom Kingdom, and some early missed release dates for 2018. Our book club this week talks about a game you almost certainly forgot existed, and even more certainly forgot the name of. It's Cooler World, let's start the show. Nine, one shy of the century from your friends at link to the cast.eu available on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple podcast soundcloud podcast addict or stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan joined as i am every week by the platforming prodigy mark robinson 99 real good games except the one about wheelman which is just okay it's Vin Diesel's Wheelman. It is Vin Diesel's Wheelman. Sorry. Don't annoy Vin Peter. Diesel's Wheelman starring Vin Diesel as Wheelman. How are you? I friend? am good. That, was, that, that one's right up there with Clive Barker's Clive Barker's Jericho. Uh, Clive Barker. Thank you, Yeltsin. <laughs> Old little punctuation joke. <laughs> it's uh, amazing how, like, pretty much those kind of first 15 episodes of Zero Punctuation. Just flawless. In the back of my brain. Yeah. Never going anywhere. Um, yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Not much to to report. Pretty kind of low key week. Um, mm. I did two days in the gym and in the gym in the gym, and my legs, my legs are not good right now. It was leg day, was it? Oh, uh, it was just well. I'm not really doing like it was a, moving day. It was a yeah. It was moving day. Um, it was body parts day. Now, were you moving the things from one place to another, or were you also engaged in the lifting of heavy things from one place to another? Uh, well, uh, lifting of things. I wouldn't say heavy things. Okay. I'm not quite there yet. It's only been three days. Okay. Um, no, I did the stairmaster, mm-hmm. which is awful. Um, I did the bike, which is less awful because there's less kind of impact on the joints because mm-hmm. that's the big thing. Because I went to the the program instructor, and uh, she went through and said, you know, what do you want to achieve? And I said, make me beautiful. And uh, I also went, <laughs> we can't help you. Yeah, you can't help me. You're wrong place. Go to to surgery, whatever. Uh, and I was like, I just don't. I don't want to go anywhere near a treadmill because treadmills and running in general are just the worst yeah yeah like there's no fun to be had from them like i see people running down the street when i'm coming home and they look fucking miserable Mm. and i really enjoy it when i'm walking home at the mcdonald's and they run past me that's (laughs) that's my jam that's my kink yeah um you also want you're getting up there in years now we both there (laughs) cool well isn't the idea of like running that you should do it in like a soft surface like grass or earth and like if you run along a path or something like that it's bad because it's its impact on your hips and your knees oh, yeah. that will tell over time. Like, I, that would just destroy my yeah. knees. So, uh, like, the idea of the stem master... Do like Lance Storm. He's a big uh, proponent of the elliptical machine. The what? You know the one that's like the... You, ha- you hold on to the bars oh, and you're and moving. You, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that, yeah. that's apparently very low impact on the joints. Yes, I'm, I'm all about low impact. While being good for, for cardio. Um, what I could do is with that gym having a swimming pool. That would really be mm. swell. But... Yeah, that's the one thing that's... It's the former... I can't remember what it's called now, but it used to be just called a sports centre yeah. downtown. 
Um, yeah, it is badly missing a swimming pool. Back in the 90s, there were fucking swimming pools everywhere in this town, so yeah. I probably just thought, well, we don't really need an additional one. We could just um, do with one. Where's the nearest? It doesn't matter. You see, they're all, like, but the thing was, like, all the places that have swimming pools were really cheap to be a member of in the I 90s, suppose, yeah. and everybody had loads of money anyway. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? Uh, pretty good. Gearing up for this episode 100. Yeah. Um... I think we can kind of uh, lift the veil on what we're doing for that now that we've got most of the show in the bank, just not put together. Uh, we're doing sort of a, like, not quite a, a clip show, but it is kind of different segments. We're, we're celebrating episode 100 by getting a bunch of special guests back on the show that you may remember from previous episodes of the show. And they're going to be talking to us uh, about the, the game that made them fall in love with video games as a medium, which I thought kind of looking back on 100 episodes and, you know, the, the book club feature. Every single one of them in their own way is a special game to bring up. And I think there there's no more special game to somebody than the one that made them begin this sick, expensive habit yeah. <laughs> of playing video games. So you're going to hear from... We won't drop the names or anything like that. But you'll hear from a, a few of the faves from, from podcast past coming in. We, we'll, we'll be talking about some of our favorite games as well and some of our memories from the show. Um, but you can look forward to that next week. Should be should be interesting. It's a nice little idea and it's been uh, fun, if a little stressful, because our, our schedules have not been syncing up uh, very well the last week trying to get all these recorded and I'm off I'm fucking yeah. off and leaving you with the bag to edit this because I'm off to crack out <laughs> next week yeah but still like uh, we should take a moment to celebrate and reflect on a yeah. hundred episodes well we'll, be, we'll celebrate in more detail at the start of episode 100 I suppose we yeah, will I suppose we will yeah we're, we're so close um, it's been it's been a trip but we'll we'll talk more about that next week I suppose mm give us something to talk about. Well, we by, record it, we by next week, we mean in like two hours time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're literally going back to back with this because <laughs> I will be out of the country next week. So if we sound very, very tired and terse at the start of episode 100, you will now know why. There you go. Pulling back the curtain on our production. Uh, indeed. Uh, other than that, pretty good week. Good. Um, didn't really do a hell of a lot. Like went up to OTT's big new show and the... The, what they call the arena. Yeah, where is on that? The, it's on the Shore Road, which is a Lewis stop on the way into town. It's about four to five Lewis stops away from the Red Cow, which makes it much more convenient getting up and back Yeah, uh, relative to the Tivoli, uh, especially if you're in a rush. Oh, is this Red Line Lewis? Uh-huh. Ah. Um, and it's literally, you get off at the Shore Road Lewis stop, you walk across two lanes of traffic, and you are on the grounds of the building. That is deadly. Yeah. Um, now, they call it the arena, and no one was able to find the arena on the shore road, but that's because they've renamed it. It's actually the Good Council GAA grounds. It's one of the... <laughs> so there's like... The, the... Is it an arena in the same way your national stadium is? A um, stadium? It, I suppose it's technically arena because it's a like a, a mid-sized building with a roof on it, uh, whereas the, the stadium is really pushing it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you go in, there's like... There's two types of GA hall in Ireland, and there's the ones that have been standing since the in mid the way that there's century. like two types of GAA. Yeah, there's been there's the ones that have been standing since like the mid twentieth century that are kind of decrepit and are used for a, like a school Kaylee or something like that. I and, can't think of anything more uh, depressing or, or a bake sale or, or oh, something Jesus. like that. And then there's these kind of new ones, uh, and the Good Council GA grounds are like that, where it's like it's much bigger, the ceilings are much higher. The capacity, like if it's if there's a seated event going on, is much higher. 
um, it can facilitate a bunch of different sports going on just inside in the hall, let alone the fact that there's pitches around it as well. But the key thing is it now holds the, the great sport of professional wrestling. Indeed, the greatest sport. Um, uh, Eurovision. It, it, yeah, the second greatest sport. Um, it fits about... So the Tivoli fits about 350, I think mm-hmm. someone said to me before. Um, this, uh, I saw them say on Twitter, is about 600. Okay. Um, so it's a nice bump up like it's doubling the capacity but it's within the kind of like they could probably fill it or come close to filling it most months it's, if they book it's well it's kind of like what progress did going from the the garage to which the was about room. 300 to the ballroom yeah. so which is about, i think 750 that's or pretty so. much it and it's not an overly gaae venue like you know what i mean it doesn't feel really out of place they dress the place well there's a good orientation of the ring and, and the entrance to where it is in the hall there's a like most GAA clubs, there is a full bar uh, in the venue, uh, which helps as well. Um, the toilets are not great. Well, <laughs> one set of them wasn't. I went in and it already smelled like the end of the world. <laughs> and the building had only been open for about half an hour. Um, I mean, I, but apparently I, the other ones were quite nice. I, didn't, I needed to go once. I can't put that down there. more maybe to the, the particular type of... The, Occupier. Yeah, the the one overly J trope that was definitely there was that they're you know like in school gyms and whatever they're the big giant fans for the air conditioning at the top like these big yeah, yeah. boxes with the vents on them. Slitters lodged in it from being pucked up by Hurley's just oh. <laughs> like the metal bent around the slitter. That's how hard it hit the fucking fan. Uh, you'll see that in most like okay. uh, any. Any gym where like kids would be playing around with with hurls, that that's gonna happen. But uh, don't, yeah, don't you use like softballs for like junior when you're um, well or... when you're inside, definitely, and sometimes when they're outside. But then like just kids get you can just buy a slitter, like you yeah, know what I, I mean. It's not like it's a prohibited weapon or anything like should, that. I suppose it should be. <laughs> um, have you ever held those things? Jesus. Um. Yeah. No. Good venue. Really enjoyable time. Um. Show was long, but it was built very well. So it didn't like the way the stadium shows go. They go like by the end, you feel like it went on about an of hour course, to ninety minutes Lewis too long. Now, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to walk all the way back from the South Circular Road. So in this kind of the, the way they had the show planned, it it goes on long, not as long as the stadium shows, which feel really, really bloated. It does go on quite long, but in the kind of way where it's so well paced that it didn't feel like as much time had passed. Um, so by the end of it, you're not completely burnt out and just looking at the exit door. Um, yeah. Really good show. Won't bore people with the details. Um, the the kind of the, the trio of incredibly technical matches in the middle were great. Uh, getting to see OTT's first ever steel cage match was a trip. Like that thing, Mark, legit about 18 feet tall. Huh. When it was put on top of, like, when it was put on the apron, um, like a good 13, 14 feet when it was just on the ground because it was leaning against the wall behind yeah, the did crowd. Did this look like an actual kind of proper cage and not just it like looked chicken like wire. as Alan Forel, friend of the show, he got up, walked the entire way across the room when they put up the cage, and told me it's the WrestleMania 2000 from the N64 cage. <laughs> So that tells you, like, it's 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 tall yeah, yeah, yeah. as fuck, like, and because it's a sixteen by sixteen ring, it looks even taller okay. than if it had been a twenty by twenty. Sure, um, didn't fall apart or anything like that. Now it did make me nervous that it was kind of like winched into the ring posts, and then the tops were tied with cable ties. Mm-hmm. Like, so I went, oh my god, they're only tying them with cable ties, and then I kind of thought about it. I went, well, have you ever tried to open a cable tie? Yeah, those things are staying there. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're gonna have to clip those. Um, 
held it together. Like there was a couple of moments where like the middle panel buckled out a little bit and someone would just shunt it back into place sure. then. But as far as like the first one of those they've ever done went pretty damn good. Enjoyed the show. Uh, well worth checking out. Their next one is uh, in about a month in the Shore Road. And they got March the 3rd. I think it was March the 3rd. Yeah. And then, yeah, you got... Uh, the only other one I know is May the 12th, because... Yeah, that's the stadium with, with fucking Minoru Suzuki and Tomohiro Up Ishii. against Eurovision. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a real... I'm going to buy the ticket and make the judgment call closer to the time sort of situation. <laughs> but anyway, that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about video games playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks... I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark. Celeste. So I think I'm really close to the end of it now. Mm. Um, I only have been able to play it in like short bursts of about 20 to 30 minutes, um, Mm. like on the way back into work. Um, A lot of what I said last week uh, is still very applicable in terms of it's a really, really uh, excellent platformer that adds like cool mechanics uh, throughout um but what i've really noticed is that uh i, I did kind of mention the the story last week and how surprising that <laughs> the fact that it has a story but it's a real um kind of exploration of one's own self and uh battling against uh, a kind of combination of either anxiety or uh, depression or uh, even just like self-esteem, which is not kind of like a, a, a mental illness, but it's something that a lot of people... <laughs> uh, for those of you who do, who uh, are listening at home, that was the uh, the incredibly detailed foley work of our cat breaking a glass in the kitchen to illustrate Mark's point. Mark, as you wax lyrical about Celeste, I'm going to go sort that out. Yeah, you probably should. Cool. All right, I'm going to talk. Ju- you just keep on talking. If you run out of time, just pause. Like, get uh, back. I'm going to talk on my own here because I have not played Celeste, so I'm not going to be able to add That's anything. That's fine. To this. That's fine. Cool. Go and save the cat from tearing. Yeah, if you hear the sound of me trying to sell a cat on the street. Ignore it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, you know, self-esteem is not directly or inherently a, a mental illness, but it's something that a lot of people deal with. Um, <laughs> boy, this is going to be hard to concentrate on. Uh, this is a first. 99 episodes in, and, and this is a first. Um, and so it really goes further into that side of things uh, to on, on the kind of second half of the game. And... It, there's a real like it, it kind of nicely mixes between the story and the platforming because um you can run into the issue with a game where you break the flow of the gameplay because you're trying to tell story and um that's kind of really an inherent issue with platforming because platforming by its nature is meant to be fast it's meant to be flowing you don't want to kind of break up that gameplay which is why i you know you look at a lot of platformers and a lot of platformers don't go towards the story side of things they exist but certainly like a 2d platformer certainly one that's kind of like um retro in design it's very very minimal on story and like you know it's not really the crux of why you play it and so celeste very much is still um you know story gaming story gaming you're not ever doing the, the two at the same time 
And there is kind of one uh, scene in particular which um, goes on for a fair few minutes and gives you kind of multiple dialogue boxes. Um, So that's the kind of biggest break in the game where you're not actually doing anything. But it only happens once, and that's fine. And that that goes it gives a lot more uh, goes a lot more into the character of of uh, the main character and, and her backstory, uh, and a kind of another character that you come across. So that's fine because it, it gives a little bit more depth that wasn't there at the start. Um, because when you start the game, all you're doing is the only motivation you have is is you know that you're trying to climb this mountain, and that's it. And throughout the the journey of the game, you find out more about why this character is trying to climb the mountain um and early on you come across a mirror and you see yourself in the mirror uh, and an event takes place and yourself in this mirror kind of comes apart and this is you know your not alter ego but this is a side of you this is a reflection of you that is all the the negativity the the anxiety the depression whatever and um it's you know there's a metaphor in there about having this battle with this other person um who kind of casts doubt uh, on your entire journey and you know he's constantly saying that you can't do this and he's fighting against you and it gets to the point where you end up just kind of having to sit down with this other side of you um because you, you you're making work the mountain and then there's a point where an event happens and you fall back to the bottom uh, and there's this kind of real heart to heart with yourself, essentially. Um, and it's you know it's nothing particularly complex. It's nothing particularly uh, groundbreaking. Um, certainly, you know, against other platforms. But it's still nice to see, and it's very different from this type of game. You know, going in from what I knew, from what I saw, it was just hey, this is another platformer that looks really cool. That looks a little bit like. Um, you know, has Super Meat Boy tendencies, so of course I was going to play it. But it's managed to draw me in um, on a on a story uh, level as well, which is what I, I was not expecting. Um, and full props because it, yeah, it's managed to be both an excellent game for its platforming, which I think is excellent, is uh, really inventive, really creative. Um, it's super super difficult at points, um, and from what I've seen. And read about there's uh like a load of items i've still need to pick up that i've completely missed so i'm gonna have to go back to these um but yeah it has this story that actually ties everything together in a way that i wasn't expecting so uh dave has not heard any of this because he's uh cleaning up after cat but i have made my um pitch for celeste and you should definitely go and play it if you haven't because it's on all platforms um, it is a bit rough as a platformer in terms of its difficulty, I won't lie. So, um, you know, beginners need not apply, but it's definitely worth uh, checking out. This is going to be a fun show to edit for me. I could have had a different life. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been anything I wanted to be. But you decided, instead, you decided to get I'm a cat. I'm cleaning glass off a floor in the middle of the night for a you, cat. You got a cat. All right, who is... looked at me as if I was the dickhead. I walked in. Mark, I have never seen a more shattered glass in my life. You know you break a glass and it's usually large shards and some small bits of glass. This was like dust was was this like king of the ring 2001 yeah yeah pretty much it looked like i had put a stick of dynamite in it yeah 
Oh, had you sake. thrown Shane? Had the cat thrown Shane McMahon through a glass? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk about video games and not the cat for a while. Uh, three things I want to talk about on the show. The first is uh, Dark Side Detective, one of my favorite games of last year, one of the funniest games of last year. Yep. Point and click, uh, supernatural detective adventure game. Um, that has dropped on the Switch today as we're recording this uh, on Wednesday the 7th available for 12.99 uh, euros um, check it out I downloaded it because I am a big supporter of this game and it's by an Irish developer Spooky Doorway so mm-hmm. they uh, I wanted to give them my support and uh, yeah works perfectly well I, I kind of just turned it on for long enough to make sure that everything works and is in proper order i can't imagine from what you've told me about this game that porting it to the switch was that demanding we've seen some ports that have gone haywire when they shouldn't in the past so i didn't want to speak confidently that the game functioned 100 percent. but yeah it does but it's um, not so. like it needs to run at 60 frames per second no no it's, it's game, definitely so. not that kind of yeah. game so uh definitely check it out um that's dark side detective uh i'm also speaking of the switch picked up uh night in the woods which, indeed uh was a big hit for a lot of people last year. One of Barry's favorite games of yeah, last and year. I liked it for what it was. Mm. Um, yeah, I had started it on PS4, but I had not really played a lot of it. Um, and now I've in the week or so it's been out on Switch, I've gone way past uh, where I had been. So I've kind of proper got into the meat and potatoes of what's going on i won't bore people because i know when you were taught when you were playing it you talked about it uh on the podcast but suffice to say this this is my kind of jam yeah um i think it's a just incredibly well written game i really like the ambient music in it i love the art style that's going on uh i think it's kind of like in in some ways uh, a video game equivalent of a coen brothers movie in as much as every single character i walk into do and start speaking with in the game is like fully rounded out yeah has their own little arc independent of what's going on like you know in a lot of movies and tv shows and video games the entire span of a character's development is the purpose with which they serve the story mm. but you get the feeling that like independent when may your player character leaves the room these people go on and they have their day there's yeah. a great feeling that the world is actually lived in that these characters have their own lives um so really enjoying that the switch obviously as with a lot of things is the perfect fucking console to have this on uh you can play on the tv if that's your bag but i i'm really enjoying just having it on the, the portable mode now you've played awesome. a lot more of it and you've seen the the dialogue do you uh agree or disagree or where are you in my comparison that this is the video gaming equivalent of daria yeah i i definitely get daria off it i get clerks off it as well yeah, yeah. Um, just anything like if you have ever uh, identified at all with that kind of uh, swathe of uh, TV or movie from the 90s that features like disaffected late teens early 20s people as the protagonist this is probably your your kind of kind of game if you're a generation X yeah or at least if you remember generation X or can sympathize with their kind of uh God, do you remember when, like, the greatest struggles of a generation were being bored? <laughs> like, really? Uh, but, yeah, that that's... Uh, it's, it's it's a really good game. 
really really like that uh the main thing i i want to talk about here uh is shadow of the colossus mm-hmm. team eco's second game that came out on late in the ps2's life cycle was remade for ps3 and now is on ps4 but instead of being the the ps3 remake was kind of just a, a buff and a polish whereas the ps4 remake is literally completely rebuilt uh, from the ground up, new assets, all that sort of stuff, just made to really suit its home on the PlayStation 4. Uh, the, the work was done almost entirely, if not entirely, by Bluepoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... Are, are you a Shadow of the Colossus guy? Were you I'm not, like, major, but, you know, I've played it, I know of it, mm. and I understand... It's a very, very interesting, very important game. Mm, I love Shadow of the Colossus. I have been... We haven't um, done a book club on that, have we? No, not yet. I have been a fan of Team Eco since I saw uh, Eco, uh, the the box art for on PS2, just looking like this fucking MC Escher painting or something like that, (laughs) and just really caught... Now, I didn't get, get along so well with that game, I thought... I really appreciated what it was going for. I don't think it was a real home run. In, in... It has issues. Yeah. Very much in the way that Lost it's, Guardian has yeah, issues. Yeah, their games are uniformly ambitious. And yeah, they have a hit rate of one out of three in terms of actually delivering on on what that game sets out to do. Shadow of the Colossus, the, the sophomore effort, is um, genuinely one of, the, one of the most lauded games of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a tough, um, it's a tough bar of quality to set for anybody coming to do an HD remake. And I think HD remakes have been, on this generation, a little bit patchy, some of them. Um, I, I find that just some of the, the way some games are built and the way they move and the way their, their assets are repurposed for PS4, I think sometimes it comes off a bit weird there's something just not quite right about them. I, I think of the, the Uncharted HD collection. There's something... You've played through the first one or one and a half of those. and There's something slightly off it's, about it, some the way games, it feels. Some games are really just a product of their time. And mm. I think certainly with something like um, the original Uncharted, I remember, is I think a lot of it's to do with the environment. Because um, those games, obviously, at the time for the PS2, were quite restrictive in you know how much they could show. Yeah, and but I, I think that maybe that's what it is: is that sometimes these HD remakes, it feels like a game is taking place on, a, on an artificial movie set rather yeah, than on sure. an actual Absolutely. location. Whereas now games do kind of feel like I like I said earlier about uh, Night in the Woods, they feel lived in the world, the game world now. There's a richness to them that there wasn't even on the last generation. But uh, I gotta say, this is I I would go along with what a lot of people are saying and say this is one of the better HD remakes there has ever been. It's a bold statement. Um, first things first, the major problem with Shadow of the Colossus 4 people, the one thing that, that held a lot of people back and saying that, you know, oh, this is my jam, was the control scheme was very much... People need to understand, Mark. People who weren't around before the PS3, uh, Xbox 360 generation, need to understand that genres of games didn't have this kind of unspoken, uniform controller alignment 
you know like if you're playing a first person shooter now it's pretty much agreed upon what your triggers do and what your face buttons do so that if you're playing battlefield or you switch to call of duty or you switch between consoles or something like that if you're playing a first person shooter in this day and age you just by picking up the controller will broadly know how it works already from other ones you've played this was not the case before the kind of the around the time of modern warfare like a, a lot of different games even within the same genre would have wildly different uh controls and the the, the controls for shadow of the Colossus originally on ps2 were quite uh, unwieldy shall we say um although um team ego are kind of uh, the history of their games are a history of them wanting you to fight against the controls almost <laughs> uh, Last Guardian is certainly a case yeah, of that uh-huh. well but that's more just the, the camera one but... of the things the default the default control scheme in the, the the this version of Shadow of the Colossus is completely pared down to what exactly there's a little brief tutorial at the start where it kind of like along the bottom just tells you how to do different stuff as you're walking around but everything is pretty intuitive yeah like you know that it like circle to roll, X to jump, triangle to mount your horse. Is it kind of like the first it's just time? So simple. Is it kind of like the first time you played uh, Ground Zeroes and you went, "Yeah, this is how this is how Metal Gear should have controlled the whole time." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty. That that's what it's like. So that's immediately the biggest problem that even fans of the 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 game would have acknowledged out of the way immediately. Like I said, they've they've rebuilt the whole game. So instead of just looking like a slight polish on ten year old assets. Oh, I've seen clips. Everything looks... <laughs> the, the one thing people keep coming at, uh, coming up with when they're, they're talking about how good it looks, and I'm playing it on PS4 Pro on, yeah. a, on an HD TV, so I haven't even got a 4K, which is where like it really shines. And I also have... There's a graphics mode in it, and I really, really appreciate this. The two graphics options, you can either toggle for it to prefer resolution or frame rate. Okay. So I have it to prefer frame rate because yeah. I would prefer things don't look as shiny once nothing looks hitchy mm-hmm. um, that's just always my preference and that's so, just from a gameplay perspective as well exactly um, and even in that where I haven't got an, a 4k TV and I haven't got it on uh, the, the highest resolution yeah. settings um, the, the fur <laughs> the, the fur. fur on the Colossal are we talking like Monsters Inc it look it, it's yeah it's like it's just you know the the old thing about video game hair like all moving in unison completely yeah. unnaturally this is like fur is billowing in the breeze it's moving and you think proper, about like not a hundred percent because no, like no, we're still, still not there and there's probably but, tricks that they have to make it more like a mirage and and like you know cheats to get along with that but yeah. you think about even Breath of the Wild last year with its grass. Grass is like the single biggest frame rate killer in a game. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a if lot If you try to it. do it right, it's going to just eat your CPU. Yeah, like. so for fur, which is even more on a kind of fine fine detail level, yeah. for it to be what you say it sounds like... Because yeah. in the old game, I think you'll probably agree from what you played of it. Like, it kind of just looks like moss. <laughs> the fur like it's just yeah, it's well, just there it's not really doing anything well, I mean if you think about the PS2 and that time like a lot of that is more just textures yeah. than yeah, actual yeah. like exactly yeah. physical not models yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
which makes sense. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not knocking it down for that. But it's just night and day. Um, the fur is the real thing where you just go, wow. <laughs> uh, the key thing that they managed to keep in this, I think, that um, makes Shadow of the Colossus so good is the scale. I think if you'd rebuilt the game and you hadn't got the scale, like you know, the Colossus is in there for a reason. Yeah, these things are fucking huge. They are. You should really they are big be, lads. You should really be intimidated by how big they are. Um, there's a great moment where I got to the the first Colossus. So I've, I'm through three Colossi already. Uh, the first one I got to. Um, for those of you who don't know, like you, you come out of this temple, uh, and you're kind of tasked with if 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 your girl. The damsel in distress, if she is to be revived from the dead, if you're to bring her soul back from the beyond, you need to defeat all the colossi yeah. uh, that lie in this temple. You need to collapse their statues, and the way to collapse their statues is to find the real colossi out in this massive open world and destroy them. Um, and to find them, you hold your sword up in the air. I, this is this is a really cool navigational tool, by the way, that doesn't get mentioned enough. Uh, you hold your sword up in the air and the point at which the light focuses so you turn around like the the light bouncing off it is all broad going off in all sorts of different directions but you keep turning the light starts to focus and when it all focuses into a point that's the direction you need to go in to find the new colossus right so that's pretty cool in and of itself that's pretty like badass kind of JRPG or open world action game sort of thing yeah that makes it feel really cinematic um but you go uh, with your horse to this ledge, climb up on the ledge, get into this massive fucking valley, and there your first Colossus is just trucking around in the background. And I had this really cool moment where I tried to see, I was like, oh, because you can call your horse from pretty much anywhere, and he'll start coming. Like, if you're if he's inside the temple, and you're outside the temple, and I can't remember if it tracked this well in the PS2 version, but if you whistle... It knows where the path it actually can walk is, so it'll walk out of the temple. Sure. Which is not a given in games. And I can tell you as someone who has put a couple of hundred hours into The Witcher 3, that is not a given. <laughs> because I would call Roach, and sometimes he would materialize on top of a cabin. Yeah. You know, and not be able to get to me. But uh, the horse walks out to you, and I was like, oh, I'm in this valley now. The horse is like 40 feet down below where I had left him before I climbed up on the ledges. I wonder if I just whistled, would he just show up here? Like, does he just materialize? So what ended up happening was I Did he whistled, climb the mountain? I whistled and the Colossus heard me. Ah. So this thing is down at the end of a valley and I go like <whistles> and it stopped <laughs> <laughs> and just slowly turned around and started walking towards me and it's kind of a thing where I didn't realise how far it was away because it's so big. I just thought it wasn't that far away and it just kept coming closer <laughs> and getting bigger and I was like by <laughs> the time the battle starts so yeah it's really cool like the, the actual boss battles themselves don't think of them in the way that say like a Dark Souls boss battle happens or anything like that the boss battles are difficult but they're not difficult fights they're difficult puzzles because the colossi themselves are puzzles you need to figure out how to get to the weak points on the colossus uh, you find the weak points by again holding the sword up and it illuminates the weak points on the Colossus. You There are a series of climbable surfaces on each Colossus and you have to figure out a way to use its attacks uh, and the way it is built to traverse across it to sure. get to the yeah. weak points and stab at the bits. 
Um, it's just a truly epic game. Um, the, the soundtrack is beautiful. Um, there's a great sense of loneliness and isolation. And the further you go through, there's a greater sense of foreboding, uh, not only at the task you've undertaken and how difficult it is, but at it's one of those you become the monster sort of things. Sure. Because the more colossi you destroy your appearance begins to change because these every time you kill one these black tendrils come out of it and go into you mm. you're rendered unconscious and you're just back at the temple from the start again uh, with uh, shadowy figures looming over you uh, the amount of sh- shadowy figures corresponds to the amount of colossi you've already destroyed uh, and yeah your your skin gets a little more sallow your hair gets darker your clothes start to get tattered scars start to show up on you and things like that um and kind of the world appears more grim over time and the way the colossi react it's one of the things people talk about a lot the way the colossi react to being attacked you start to think to yourself is they're really not like they're they're not angry they're not destroying stuff they're they're in pain you're not beating this terrible malevolent force you're you're murdering them. Yeah. You know, and, and like you wrestle with your own humanity. Like is, is what you're doing worth bringing back this, this, this beloved woman, this, this damsel in distress? Is it, is it really worth changing who you are to bring this person back? Will she even recognize you uh, by the time you've done what you need to do? It's a fucking masterpiece of a game. I love it. And, that's why Last Guardian is so disappointing because it's like, my God, this game is so good. You, you think like, it's the people that made that with a good doggo and yeah. it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't think. Oh. Anyway, uh, that's Shadow of the Colossus. Check it's not a full price game either. It's only 40 quid. Um, in, in the Euro yeah, but you know what's also store. 40 quid? Bayonetta 2 on the Switch <laughs> with Bayonetta. Woof. <sighs> anyway. Time to go to the news. News on the mark. We have a new firmware update for PS4. It's 5.50. I'm just going to run through the the quick list of things here. If there's anything you want to comment in on, Mark, throw your hat in the ring here. The update, which begins today, this was on the 6th, uh, in in beta form, introduces playtime management, library and quick menu updates. But perhaps the headline edition is a super sampling mode on PS4 Pro. This lets those with HDTVs get a better visual experience when playing some PS4 games. Um, yeah, uh, elsewhere then, playtime management gives family managers... This is a pretty cool little feature uh, for parents. It gives family managers and adult family members who are set as guardian the ability to set time limits on when and for how long each cut child can play for. Notifications will be sent to children while they're playing so they know they should save and quit. Sorry, kids. There go your sneaky midnight gaming sessions. <laughs> so this is a pretty cool thing because, again, now I, it's a little bit hypocritical because I'm someone who comes from uh, the generation who uh, I would turn the lights out, pretend I was going to sleep, whack on the N64 and, and keep playing oh, on of course. into the night. Of course. Um, but for somebody who wants to limit kids' playtime um, to make sure that they're not stuck to it literally all day, every day, being able to set a thing where, okay, well, you're allowed two hours in an evening, I can set a two-hour timer, so from as soon as they boot in and log into their little sub-account on my PlayStation, 
the clock starts ticking and it gives like a 10 minutes left, 5 minutes left warning so that the kid can save and can't complain when the time runs out. It though. does seem like a thing where you have to, you know, be a gamer or, you know, be in the knowledge of a PS4. Like, if you've just got your casual mum that's gone down to GameStop to buy this, they're yeah. not going to know what no. this is. But then they don't know anything about parental controls on any no, console. No, you know exactly. I mean? So, yeah, here's fucking GTA Five. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the update also lets you, and this is a pretty cool thing for people who really like customising their UI, uh, it lets you import your own images via USB stick to use as custom wallpapers. Uh, on the user interface front, two new tabs are added to the library to make it easier uh, to see which apps you've installed and bought. This PS4 tab lists all the apps installed on your console, which, I honestly, that is... It's a small thing, but it's really handy. Uh, and the tab with your name and avatar lists all the apps that you've bought with your PSN ID. This should make it easier to search games you've bought but haven't installed. Uh, usefully, there's a new PS Plus tab in the library, so you can uh, just have a look at all the games you've collected. By that's PS really Plus. handy. I, yeah. th- why that's not been there from the start? If your PS Plus membership uh, is expired, a PS Plus icon with a lock shows up next to your name, so you know which games you can play if you resubscribe. Aha. <laughs> Uh, following on from this there's a new function that lets you hide certain apps under the purchase tab in the library so you can hide betas trials or demos which again thank you my library on PS4 is cluttered with so many different demos of games that I can delete but it still shows up on my purchased stuff Uh, now on to the quick menu improvements 5.0 lets you access custom friends lists directly from the quick menu which should make it easier to see who's online and send the messages I, mean, I barely have any friends so this is all useless <laughs> to me uh, this is a long awaited improvement you can now permanently remove old notifications from your PS4 because once you've read them they still stay there it's a big list it's fucking oh yeah. god again why from an organisational point of view it's really fucked mm. me off big time uh, unfortunately there's no mention of you being able to change your PSN name shocker um, yeah, so just kind of like small little bits, little bits and pieces, nothing huge, nothing wholesale, nothing revolutionary um, coming in that new firmware update. Mark, going to take you to a very early diversion into Konami Corner. Fuck Konami. So Konami accidentally unlocked a part of Metal Gear Solid V that they were supposed to keep locked. <laughs> so I don't know how much you know about the post-game of Metal Gear Solid V. Um, I mean, I barely know anything. So there's online for- Metal Gear 5. There's Solid online 5. forward operating base stuff, which is um, basically it's just it's busy work basically, where you can upgrade Mother Base. Uh, and send them off on missions to get you money and resources to build up Mother Base more or to you know improve your loadouts for different missions you want to go on in, in the open world. Uh, all that sort of good jazz. But uh, when you get to the post-game, uh, another wing of Mother Base is available to you and that's uh, the wing that allows you to enrich or disarm uranium to okay. build nuclear weapons <laughs> right. for um, the Diamond Dogs. And what they said about this was um, there will be there is one secret ending to Metal Gear Solid 5 that will only become unlocked when every single online player collectively disarms all their nuclear weapons which is a cool little kind of sort almost sort of proving a point in a way only Metal Gear Solid can about nuclear war 
uh, and mutually assured destruction and all that by saying everyone needs to disarm for this super special thing. Now, the video leaked a couple of years ago because someone broke into the game and found the, the code for the video. Um, but yeah, over the weekend, someone at Konami just hit a fucking switch. And... <laughs> <laughs> it just it just got unlocked. Oh my god! Um, it, was, and, it was Trump, wasn't it? And they, they they tweeted out. This is for the Metal Gear official uh, Twitter. The nuclear disarmament event was triggered in the Steam version of Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain on February second at approximately twelve hundred hours GMT. We are still investigating, but can't confirm or can confirm that the event was triggered while the nuke count hadn't reached zero. So yeah, just classic, just classic Konami. Cool. And then, like, some people actually went to try and get Kojima's comment on this, as if he was oh, going to know. He's fucking. Uh, well, he's <laughs> neck deep don't say in Metal Gear to him again. Um, Death Stranding at the That's moment. So right, yes. Uh, moving on. The hottest controversy in video games was finally settled this week. Mark Robinson. Nintendo has confirmed the truth about Toad's head. I I thought we'd gone over this like at least a year ago to two years ago. No, the one that was a couple of years ago was finding out that Yoshi's name was T. Yoshi. So no, no, but we've had this discussion about Toad before. I know we have. I know this has come up before. Nintendo has finally confirmed that Toad's head is indeed his head and not, as some had recklessly speculated, a hat settling an issue that's been hotly debated, apparently, All right, for decades, apparently. All right. The shocking revelation, shocking for those poor misguided souls on Team Hat at least, comes courtesy of the Super Mario Odyssey producer Yoshiaki Kozumi, who took the time to answer a few Mario-related fan questions in a new, and I need to remind you, officially sanctioned video from Nintendo. Um, Yeah, so Toad's head is his head. Look, Um, I won't believe it until they make a book uh, in the same way they made a book for the Legend of Zelda timeline which was also Hyrule a Historia. F- fucking mess. Which And this officially, officially rules that the Super Mario Brothers cartoon is not canon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we could clear that one up. There's like that moment we know when Disney bought Star Wars and said yeah. all that expanded universe, all those like decades of books that everybody bought and enjoyed more nah, than some of the em. films. No, fuck them all. Yeah. That's why. Um, moving on. Um, Far Cry 5. Coming out next month. I've seen images of this DLC. Yeah, so... I mean, in the um, same way that, you know, Blood Dragon DLC was quoi? Yeah, so Far Cry 5 is out next month, and um, I'm still unsure as to what that game is going to be, because it certainly seemed like they were going for some real cutting statements on contemporary Bible Belt uh, America, and they, since that initial trailer have pulled back quite considerably from it. Um, they announced their season pass details this week, which has n- n- not really illuminated any further whether they'll t- be taking things seriously or not, because they're going for three very different tones here with their uh, DLC. So there's three expansions coming as part of the DLC. Um, the first one is a zombie mode, which, you know, bog standard. Sure, whatever. The second one, which I thought was interesting, is a Vietnam expansion. So I, I, I could deal with that. I, I think we talked about before how there weren't really enough kind of yeah. When we were talking about Mafia Three being shortly following Vietnam, we talked about how there wasn't really enough games that dealt with Vietnam. Do you remember long ago there was supposed to be a Call of I think it was a Call of Duty 
was Call of Duty or a Battlefield that kind of uh, some concept footage leaked out of that they were going to do Vietnam before they went and completely pivoted and did something else. I don't remember that. Uh, and then the final one, Lost on Mars. Yeah, well, look, I mean, as just mentioned, um, there was a lot of noise that was made when uh, Blood Dragon came out, and yeah. I don't know um, how that did, sales-wise, but I'm presuming... pretty good. They didn't end up releasing that as a standalone disc. I, that's probably the sign then. So mm. the fact that that did so well, they've clearly thought, right, we've got something we can do with this. Um yeah. Was there... Well, I was going to say, what was the DLC for um, Far Cry 4? And it was just Far Cry Primeval, so... No, that was a separate game. No, that, that, that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did have somebody... I didn't buy it, though. I beat it and sold it. Hmm. Um, also, though, this this is one pretty cool part of the DLC, for sure. Um, if you get the season pass for Far Cry 5, you get um, a digital copy of Far Cry 3. Which many still consider to be the peak of Far Cry. And it's it's a, a HD version, isn't it? Yes, or, yeah. which will be releasing anyway later in the summer so. on PS4 and Xbox One. But you will get it early and at no extra charge if you buy the That's season pass. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, there's also a new trailer. Uh, has gone live for Far Cry 5. So check that out on the YouTubes if you are interested. PlayStation 4 has passed the breathtaking milestone of 75 million units sold um they're officially according to this report at about 76.5 at the moment uh they shifted another 9 million consoles during the three months ending december 31st 2017 although this figure was slightly down by 700k on the same period in 2016 still the playstation division's profits were way up from 617 billion yen to 718 billion uh, thanks to an increase in PlayStation software sales, of which Sony takes a cut. PlayStation 4 is the undisputed winner of this current console generation. Microsoft has stopped releasing its own hardware figures to avoid comparisons and is now closing in on the 83.8 million lifetime sales of the PS3. Uh, yeah, that PS4. I just really enjoy that Microsoft have even stopped announcing yeah, console just, figures. You know what? Uh, no. And you know what's even more tragic than that? Nintendo are so happy they've started announcing hardware figures again. <laughs> you know? It's just the, the contrasting fortunes in this generation. The PS... The, the Xbox 360 is not doing bad by... Or not the Xbox 360, the Xbox One is not doing bad sales-wise. Uh, at least until relatively recently it was outpacing the Xbox 360. It's just that by comparison to the, the PS4, which is probably before it's over going to break 100 million oh totally um it's just by comparison yeah that it's it's quite a letdown so yeah 76.5 million of the fuckers and we've got red Dead redemption 2 coming out later this year we got data war coming as a ps4 exclusive I'm, I'm just looking through the uh eurogamer comments here and uh there is a, a an astonishing comment a lot of this is subjective uh, the nope. Xbox One, is it's become fashionable to outright state that PS, PS exclusives are unquestionably better than what Xbox offers, but I strongly disagree, and would never in a million years part with the Forza, Halo, Gears, Sea of Thieves, Recore, Crackdown, which doesn't exist yet, well, isn't out yet, sorry, Fable, which, what Fable game are they talking about, State of Decay, Ori, State of Decay 2 is coming out this year, for the equivalent of the PS or Switch exclusive lineups. Uh, that person is well I'm glad he's happy you know what that's a case of I was given one console and I'm gonna love this here uh, is an interesting story Kaz Harai is stepping down as Sony boss yeah 
That's a big one. That is. Uh, the former PlayStation chief who has run Sony as president and CEO since April 2012 will now become chairman of Sony. Uh, Sony's chief financial I mean, in fairness, officer. In fairness, considering the job he's done over the past five years or so. Uh, Sony's chief financial officer, Kenichiro Yoshida, uh, will replace Hirai as uh, Sony boss. Um, this man has had a very, very interesting legacy. Um, he has led... The, the PlayStation brand and Sony through some of its worst times PR-wise and now kind of its return, its ascent to the top of the the pile. Um, you need to remember his, his, his large part in the infamous 2006 reveal of the PlayStation 3 and his attempts to justify why it costs $600. Uh, and his insistence at the time that it was a competitive price... Um, based on what was in the box. Yeah, competitive for they were, they wallet. banging for on me. about that cell processing that was going on in it, yeah. the Blu-ray player and all this. I got oh, my yeah. PS3 for free, so, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, he guided them through that. The PS3 generation, people forget now sometimes with the PS4 being so successful, but that was just one calamity after the other, the PS3. There was lots of games that were coming out on Xbox 360 that when they came out on PS3 were broken to fuck. Yeah, I Bioshock, you, I have Skyrim. A lot of, I have a lot of fun, fun memories of my PS3, but yeah. it, it is amazing that um, Sony didn't suffer even more than, you know, th- for them to do... Because we talk a lot about the Nintendo and the, the turnaround that they're having from with the Switch from the Wii U. But... Like, obviously, the PS3 was successful, you know, um, like, way more successful than the Wii U. But certainly from um, just a perspective and from the the critical reception of, as you mentioned, a lot of the the PS3 ports of certain games, and the fact that Xbox 360 grabbed this kind of teenage, young, adult gamer base, had these really interesting exclusives, um, had the Xbox Live Arcade uh, initiative... It is kind of surprising that, um, A, Microsoft have fucked it up royally, but also that PS4 have taken the initiative and turned itself turned themselves around to yeah. where they have a console that's, you know, sold 45 million units. As well as the console, he, he also was head of... Uh, he was also right out in front during the 2011 PSN security crisis. <laughs> outage. Was it 22 days the entire PlayStation Network was down it for? It was a fair few days. It was a fair few days. And pretty much since then, nearly annual security breaches around Christmas, the DDoS attacks that, that, that take down the PlayStation Network. Although this Christmas it wasn't taken down, uh, unless I completely missed. But yeah, Kazurai... Um, Hell of a, 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 a kind of legendary figure of modern He's done Sony. Right. Yeah, and still one of the best uh, parody Twitter accounts. The fake Kaz Hirai Twitter yeah. account is, is quality. <laughs> still worth the follow, for sure. Uh, moving on, Yakuza 6 has been delayed in the West, which is very, very sad. Well, you know. Uh, there's plenty of Yakuza to be playing in the meantime. Between Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Kiwami, the remake of uh, the first Yakuza. But yeah, Yakuza 6, The Song of Life, will now launch on April 17th in the West, which is about a month later than originally expected. Is this one that's going to have all the New Japan rests in yes. it? Or, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, 
they haven't really given a reason on it they said it's a decision that wasn't taken lightly because it's only delayed for a month I imagine it's that kind of like we're just polishing some shit sort of thing Uh, some stuff is still a little bit buggy we want to get the game out working properly which as we've said before on the program we are always advocates of delaying a game for that reason certainly um, so yeah more power to it. it's still going to sell like gangbusters I imagine amongst that uh, it's it's really the, the Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Kiwami coming out last year has really generated much bigger interest in Yakuza 6 than I think there would have been otherwise um, so fair play to them on that one I think they're going to make quite a bit of bank on it mm-hmm. uh, speaking of delays one of my predictions for the year already out the fucking window Mark Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to miss the summer release window it had set for itself and will now release on October 26th. Um, I, I, I thought this was funny in as much as uh, could you imagine waking up that morning if you were the developer of a game at a studio who had planned to release a game in October this year <laughs> and seeing just this massive speeding locomotive of Red Dead Redemption barreling down towards you? Um, there's going to be people rethinking their calendars in a, in a big, big way to get out of the way of this. Oh, fucker. can you imagine? Can you imagine those that have like booked time off work, thinking Red Dead? There are people. There are always people. Of course. Um, actually, uh, just for people who are living in Ireland, um, I'm sure there are similar deals probably going on in GameStops in, in other places. Um, you know their usual trade in a, a game and pay or trade in two games, pay nine nine ninety nine get a new game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing a thing at the moment where if you trade in a, a relatively new game, uh, they have a big list up on their website and pay 20 quid, Red Dead Redemption 2 is yours. Strong. So that's um, I'm going to do that tomorrow because South Park Fractured But Whole is on that list. Ah. I still haven't traded that in yet. So boom, boom. Yeah. Um, yeah, October 26th. That is going to be the game of Q3. Um, regardless of what the quality of it is, it's going to be the biggest talking point of Q3 anyway. I... Uh, that's for sure. Other than FIFA, um, probably the biggest selling game of the year. Call of Duty is always up there. <sighs> I don't know. I feel Red Dead might take it. Oh, it, it might, but I mean, Call of Duty will be one of the ones up there with it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I think Red Dead is going to destroy everything. But yeah. Anyway, moving on. Maybe Pug G, depending on if that gets like out on PS4. Uh, uh, we'll see about that I one. Um, this was a thing we talked about Capcom's finances last week and I completely missed this part of it um, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite was a complete flop yeah it was uh, between all platforms it only sold 1 million copies Ooh. bearing in mind uh, that game has been out since September yep um, that is a disaster uh-huh. for a game that must be very expensive to make and I don't mean that in as it looks expensive because it doesn't it doesn't look great but in as much as just the sheer amount of money to license the characters <laughs> in that game yeah, only selling a million copies it, it is such a a train wreck such a disaster that they announced uh, I think it was today or maybe yesterday um, Marvel vs. Capcom has been dropped from Evo this year yeah there will be no Marvel, there will be no Capcom game at Evo. Yeah, what what did they see? There was Injustice, uh, Tekken Seven. Um, what was the one that surprised me? Oh, uh, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters is obviously already on the list. Damn right. Which I feel was kind of like that. That's what's replaced Capcom. Oh yeah, I want to say 
that coming out and being really good did not help. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's really, really bad. But uh, also, as this article points out, uh, <laughs> much to the chagrin of people who are like, oh, horror games are the thing. It's, it's over. It's all over. Uh, Resident Evil 7 is still doing very well. Yeah. There's a positive picture overall for Capcom's game business, which has been the revenue and profit going up overall. The superb Resident Evil 7 has now sold 4.8 million units. Um putting that in context the best selling Resident Evil game of all time staggeringly enough is Resident Evil 5 which sold 7.3 so the fact that after Resident Evil 5 being not so great and Resident Evil 6 being terrible uh, Resident Evil 7 selling 4.8 million units is more than a little great it was thrown out in January which makes you think that they didn't think it was going to do that great. And, like, Monster Hunter World is doing really well. Yeah. yeah. yeah people are really liking that. And I've resisted the urge because I know what Monster Hunter games are like. And there is no... <laughs> I. They can tell me all they want that this is a good jumping on point. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, Nintendo announces Mario Kart Tour for smartphones. This was around the time we went to... Uh, record last week that this news broke uh, the next in the line of Nintendo games coming to mobile following um, you wouldn't really call Pokemon Go because it was a Niantic thing that was kind of broken out separately but the, the main Nintendo DNA partnership games so far have been Super Mario Run and uh, Animal Crossing Pocket Campers is that what it's called? Uh, Pocket Camping I think Pocket Camping yeah um, so Mario Kart Tour is the next one Uh they haven't really shared anything more than the logo and that it's coming. Uh, it will end in the fiscal year ending March 2019, which is a very strange way to phrase it. Um, so at some time within the next year, we'll have Mario Kart Tour on phones. You can pretty much tell in your head how that game is going to work, can't you? Yeah, I, and I think that this is the one that, out of um, the three so far, has the most chance of being uh, more of like a port of an actual Mario Kart game yeah. and not like a deconstruction in the way that um, Super Mario Run like is a completely different type of Mario platforming game and that Animal Crossing is more of a kind of uh, Simpsons tapped out free to play type mobile game Yeah, um, and obviously the, because of the controls and because of the mechanics of Mario Kart this there's more that it can lend itself to a, a mobile game you know mm-hmm. and we've seen racing games before on on mobile and they can work um whether it's through the use of virtual controls or actually tilting the the phone left or right so i i'm optimistic about this one um not that i didn't like super mario run it was fine but it again it's a deconstruction of you know a game that doesn't need to be deconstructed so um yeah we'll see i i hold out hope uh, the SNES Classic, the mini SNES that came out last year, sold 4 million units. Um, just another a, another positive in a great year for Nintendo. Uh, the Nintendo Mini or Classic Mini SNES launched in Europe and North America at the end of September last year and early October over in Japan. Uh, within a month, it sold 2 million units. The fact that the SNES Mini has continued to sell shows Nintendo has done a much better job at keeping the micro console in stock through Christmas. It would be hard to do a worse job than they did with the NES and into 19 than the infamous, infamously hard to find NES a year ago. 21 games are included on the SNES Mini, including the previously unreleased Star Fox 2. Um, yeah, they did pretty good with that one. Uh, N64 Mini when? 
I don't know. Uh, original PlayStation Mini when? Yeah. Uh, Master System Mini when? Oh, we can go like. Indeed. Atari Jaguar Mini when? <laughs> um, yeah, that's they, they've done pretty. That's a between that and the ten million or so switches that have been sold already. The the pockets have been padded. We talked a couple of years ago on the podcast around the time we started about how like they were eating into their cash reserves with the amount they were eating it in general on the Wii U. Yeah. Um, they are it seems every the pockets once it again. It seems every now. couple of weeks we talk about the Switch hitting some sales figure or whatnot, so, yeah. It's on pace with the Wii yeah. at the moment, which is just fucking, just crazy shit. Altogether. Not quite as crazy as this. Uh, yeah, confirmed what we had heard before. Uh, I think we talked about it when there was rumblings of it. There is going to be another Mario movie. Nintendo has confirmed it is working on a Mario movie with Illumination Entertainment, the animation studio behind Minions and Despicable Me and Sing as well. I like Sing. Sing's a good um, film. I like the Shiba Inu K-pop band that are in it. Yeah. <laughs> they are the best part of that whole thing. Uh, Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto is listed as a co-producer on the film alongside Illumination boss and Minions creator Chris uh, Melod- Melodandry. You know what? Actually, I need to... Um, no word yet on release date, obviously, because the script hasn't even been written. I need to see... Was Miyamoto in any way affiliated with the Mario Brothers film? Because I don't think he is. Um, but I'm curious. Hmm. Although my internet is not doing a thing, so we'll just continue. Yes, yes. Uh, I um, what? What do you think about this? Do you think it's uh, is it good that they're going animation this time? You definitely prefer. Um, um. I mean, I think it's look. Why the fuck would you make a a live action Mario film you know it went so well the first time exactly so Bob Hoskins my Mario yeah so if you're I mean I'm waiting for the live action Sonic um if you're gonna do a Mario movie it seems weird that they're doing one now but yeah I mean alright whatever um then sure like virtual animation is the way to go yeah um because you know you can kind of more closely you know take what is already there art asset wise from you know Mario Odyssey um, and just translate that into film basically so yeah that makes sense that makes sense more as well that you know I can relate to that because I'm not seeing fucking Dennis Hopper as King Cooper um now, I don't know how this will actually work as a film. Will Mario actually, like, fully talk? Yeah, you know? It's like if we did a Zelda movie, does Link talk? Will Bowser be Pimp Bowser? <laughs> um, here's the thing, Mark. So, uh, as part of uh, when I was looking around reading about this story, I came across an article from uh, two years ago on uh, ComicsAlliance.com. Shout out to ComicsAlliance.com. Uh, where they had uh, some speculation as to if they made another live-action Mario movie now, who would be in it? Would you like to hear their fantasy cast list? Oh, sure. Now, there are parts of this where I think, okay, they're taking this seriously, and there's parts of it where I go, okay, they're absolutely just just going for a moonshot here. (laughs) Mario, to be played by Jack Black. Okay. Proportions wise, you can see where they're going with that. I'm I'm not on board. Adrian Brody as Luigi. Adrian Brody for the pianist. Nope, don't know. 
Um, what an Oscar, man. He's the guy that made out with Halle Berry when he won the Oscar. Remember that guy? No. F- fucking weird guy. Uh, Naomi Harris as Princess Peach. Danny, Money sure. Penny from the new Bond movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Um, this may be my favourite casting for anything ever. Bowser, Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> it's either got to be Ron Perlman or it's got to be, um, what's his face? Um, uh, what's his uh, face? Thanos. Oh, uh, Josh Brolin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this one as well. Toby Jones as Toad. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> just because his head is... Yeah. Like, that's it. He's just got a weird head. Okay. That's why they're doing that one. Um, Aubrey Plaza... No, no. Do you know who should be Toad? Andy Serkis. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza as Wendy Cooper. Uh, oh, who the fuck is that? Aubrey Plaza's from Parks and Rec. Oh, I would have a clue. Oh, she's um, your one from the, the really sarky one from Scott Pilgrim that works in the coffee shop. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, Evan Peters, who was Quicksilver in X-Men. Okay, uh, yep. Him as Ludwig Koopa. Yep, 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 yep. I'm on board with that. Uh, <laughs> famous character actor Bob Balaban as Laikitu. <laughs> okay, what I want to know, have they got anyone there cast... No. I want to know who has been cast as Roy. No, Roy is not here. Oh, come but on! As the Hammer Brothers, the Usos. <laughs> no. Right. Welcome not... to the Hammer Brother Penitentiary! I'm not leaving until we've cast Roy, because he is the only character that matters. Roy Keane. <laughs> Done. Moving on. <laughs> uh... Okay, moving on. An announcement that also dropped uh, after we had already recorded last week. Nintendo's online service for the Switch is finally going to arrive in September of this year. You'll need to pay €20 or about £17.50 for a year's subscription to Nintendo Switch online or €8 for three months, €4 for each month. Exact UK prices still to be announced. Nintendo has delayed the start date for its subscription several times and with good reason. The service's free smartphone app launched with a number of issues, I'll say. Many fans also deemed the offer of a free NES game every month somewhat uninspiring. Nintendo's official websites still list this perk. Ongoing access to a library of classic games with added online play such as Super Mario Bros. 3, Balloon, Flight, uh, Balloon Fight and Dr. Mario. But the company hinted today it might go further to reward uh, fans speaking of very attractive programs and content. Uh, and of course, fans are already speculating as to which Nintendo, uh, which games Nintendo might launch alongside Switch Online. Um, is this something that you are going to be um, indulging in when you pay the twenty quid a year? Is pretty. I probably won't. I even got PS Plus at this moment, so yeah. um, I... if, the, if it's a pretty compelling package, twenty euro for a year is. But not the thing is, is, I don't use any of the online functionality. What I mean is, if this. Netflix for games thing where uh, with the 20 euro you get a bunch of games and if any of them are tempting tw- like in the grand scheme of things for what those things cost on Xbox and PS4 20 quid a year is not bad it is but like I'm getting so many good games that are like out at the moment that I don't know I just I can't, I can't see myself doing it um yeah I, I, I don't think I'll, I'll be on board with it um now if they are fuckers and they decide that they're gonna um put virtual console attached to this then those fuckers but i don't think they will so 
So we've already talked a bit about uh, Shadow of the Colossus on the show this week. Um, that the PS4 port that is just a remake that is just fantastic. Um, but I don't know if you know uh, that there are a lot of kind of um, greater puzzles going on outside of the uh, and secrets outside of the, the just fighting the Colossi in that game, Mark. Uh, there's one in particular, and I urge you, I'm not going to get into it, but that there is a big article on Eurogamer about uh, that's been reposted because they've been posted over and over again. There's one last secret that no one has ever solved on that game that one man is making his mission to try and solve, and it's a very, very interesting piece to go and read. Um, but outside of the 16 Colossus to defeat as part of the main story, the original had two sets of optional collectibles to find, Fruit Trees and Lizard Tales, both of which also feature in the PS4 remake. The remaster introduces a third type of collectible, which have been dubbed Enlightenments, or Gold Coins, by players, which glow and sparkle when found. Unlike Fruit Trees and Lizard Tales, which increase your health and stamina gauges respectively, the purpose of these coins is currently unknown. There isn't a trophy associated with finding them, nor are they mentioned in part of the in-game stats summary found in the pause menu. However, once you find your first coin, they are logged in the bottom corner of the map screen as a number that increases with each subsequent find. How many of these collectibles are there? A video by PS4 Trophies theorizes a total of 79 based on a message in the end credits thanking the Nomad Colossus and the 79 Steps to Enlightenment. A total of 70 have been found so far, so if the theory is true, we won't be waiting long for the mystery to be solved. Could there be something hidden away at the end of these coins, or will finding them be its own reward? Um, I thought that's, like, Easter eggs are a thing that in the age of the the internet, Mark, have really gone by the wayside. Because everyone's already spoiling every fucking secret a game has as soon as it comes out now. Pretty much, yeah. So, even if it lasts for a little while, it's pretty refreshing to have a genuine mystery going on in a video game. Um... Any Easter eggs that you've loved coming across in in video games? Any any spring oh, to mind? Oh Jesus! Um... <sighs> God, I feel like we've talked about Easter eggs before on the show. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one. No, you've you've thrown me with that. I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> one of my favorite ones was um, Vice City. When you there's a particular helipad that if you jump off one corner of towards a building the window actually isn't there so you glitch through it and then you're in a room that has a literal easter egg in it <laughs> which is a very rock star way to do an easter egg um yeah that's probably my favorite of all time uh that's gonna do it for the news this week uh-uh uh-uh we got one piece of news we got one breaking um, news no it's not breaking news i put it in here and you went straight past it oh yeah that's because i open all the tabs before we start because i'm a professional yeah all right and you, this is the most important news this week. Go, do it. King of Kong's Billy Mitchell gets kicked off the Donkey Kong leaderboard oh, for allegedly right. playing on MAME and not real hardware. The king of sauce and Donkey Kong has been felled. Arcade scene legend Billy Mitchell was essentially cast as the villain in the 2007 documentary The King of Kong, which, by the way, is another one of my favourite episodes that we've done and mm-hmm. we can talk about after. Um, it's about the contest to break Donkey Kong's high score record. Uh, though Mitchell hasn't held the top score in Donkey Kong for years, he's still a memorable figure. As of today, however, his highest scores are under scrutiny for being potentially fraudulent. The record keepers at Twin Galaxies take the scoring scorekeeping business seriously. Uh, and if you've never seen that film, you should, because you'll just see how seriously. 
And you should also treat yourself to downloading the episode of Link to the Castle, which we reviewed. Uh, Indeed. Uh, So seriously that a deep investigative post from member Xenia made Friday aims to prove Mitchell actually recorded several of his high scores on the arcade emulator MAME, not on the original arcade hardware, as he claimed. (gasps) Xenia, whose name is Jeremy Young, removed Mitchell's scores from the Donkey Kong leaderboard, knocking Mitchell's 1,062 million score out of the top 20 spot. One of the current top three scores of 1,206,800 was actually recorded on MAME as well. So why does it matter? Uh, One pretty crucial reason is that scores recorded on arcade hardware and MAME are evaluated and approved differently, uh, which means that Mitchell's scores weren't given the kind of scrutiny that others would have if they were known to be doing MAME recordings, and that opens up the door to cheating. Billy motherfucking Mitchell. There was always one more heel turn coming from. And I'm sorry, there? right? I'm sorry. If you've ever seen that film, if you've ever seen a picture, none of it will be surprising to you. None of this, none of this is surprising. <laughs> Just he's a real piece of work, Mark. <laughs> but you know what, right? I love him. God bless him. I love him. It's like Vince McMahon. Also, Steve Weeby for life. Oh, Steve Weeby. Weeby. Like he must have looked at that and went, "You son of a bitch," you know. <laughs> I thought, what was it the documentary we watched where he kind of shows up as a not altogether awful person? Who? Billy Mitchell. I don't think that we, we No, we did. We watched another documentary. Oh, is it the it's, Tetris not one? The te- it's not the Tetris one. Um, it's a third one. I can't remember what it is. Are you it's, sure? I don't remember. Yeah, no. De- I, I definitely remember because I was going, hey, look, he's not an arse in this. Uh, <laughs> you sure it wasn't like just... A, it was might, it, it was might it not, have been Tetris, but I don't think it was. Was it not King of Kong when he was talking about his source business? No, because... Uh, God, Jesus, there's so much to his ties, the sauce, his wife that our friends at the time dubbed Old Woman Young Boobs. Oh, man. There has to be a, there has to be a follow-up. There has just... to be more, like, another documentary about this particular thing. Oh, what a, just what a piece of work he is. Oh, what a great man. What a heel. Yeah, he what is. What a movie. Like, he is the League of Hills, you know? He really is. He is the evil League of Evil all by himself. Uh... <laughs> That, unless Mark has more breaking no, news. No, no. I'm just... We had to, How we couldn't not talk about Billy Mitchell. It's... Right. Yeah, you're, you're right. I'm trying to actually look up here and see what the other film is, if I can remember it. Just... He has an IMDb page, obviously. <laughs> of course he does. Um, just see what it is. Oh, there's actually a... Fo- he, there's, a there's a follow-up documentary. Is it just about Billy Mitchell? Um, because honestly, there is the paper that you can print with just him alone. <laughs> uh, I can't see what documentary it is. I don't want to kind of waste time with this. He was on an episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. What? <laughs> oh, right. Okay. okay. We're ending this podcast yep. now and I'm going to go watch that. This is the end of the new segment for this week. And now we're apparently, even though we want to watch Space Ghost, going to talk about a game from the past. Uh, and our link to the cast book club, one that you either haven't played before, you should start playing, or you should play again if it's been a while. This week, Mark has pulled one out of the deep from the fucking locker on this one, and we are going to talk about Cooler World.
cooler, faster, harder, stronger. This is Cooler World. Known as... They hate you. Known as Roll Away <laughs> in North America. Roll Away. Uh, it's a 3D platform puzzle video game developed by Game Design Sweden AB for the Saini PlayStation, which places the player in control of a cooler beach ball. The main objective of the game is to collect keys which unlock the level exits, as well as coins and jewels along the way. The game makes use of alternative physics, changing the direction of gravity as the ball moves. There's your synopsis. Probably the shortest one we've had in the entire team we've yeah. been doing this. I think it's safe to say this won't be one of our long, rambling epics of book clubs. Um, when you said last week, Cooler World, <laughs> I hadn't a fucking blues clue what you were talking about, mate. I want to say that is the first time this has happened other than when you said The Neverhood to me. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. That was that was my one from deep in the reserves. Yeah. This um, is yours. Okay, let me tell you about Cooler World, because I'm presuming that you looked up no, some I looked up, and I've played it. Oh, you have? Yeah, well, this is the thing. <laughs> I had no idea what you were talking about, and then I googled it and went onto YouTube to see it being played, and I was like, oh, it's the dumb ball game. <gasps> no, but, like, I don't mean bitch. dumb in a, like, bad dumb. I mean dumb as in good dumb, because yeah. it's dumb. Okay, well, no, it's not, though. It's it is. It's not dumb. It right. is. Let me take you back, though. So... It's you thought Glover had too much personality. It's <laughs> it's 1998 um, or around that time, maybe a little bit earlier. And um, do you remember ever having any of the the PlayStation demos? Yeah, that's I think how I played this. Yeah, which I think is how a lot of people played it to begin with. Um, and you had some of the PlayStation demos that had the real kind of trippy kaleidoscope type graphics in the background in the uh, the game select screen and there would be like a big circle that you can spin around to find the game you were looking for. Uh, this is where I first played Cooler World because I would eventually end up having the game. Um, Cooler World is, as mentioned, it's a 3D platform puzzle video game. And you need to think about the fact that this is 1998. So we're still in that early transition of 2D to 3D. And it's not the most seamless transition, as we've spoken about before with certain games. Um, and as a result, what uh, Game Design Sweden, AB, decide to do is to make that transition as seamless as possible they keep things as simple as possible. Like, the the objective is very, very simple, which is get you the, the cooler ball from uh, one area or one, one point to another. And along the way, you know, you'll see the X because there's a big X that looks like the original Xbox logo with an exit in the middle. And you need to um, find the keys that will then unlock that exit. Now, the way they also keep it simple is the fact that you move along um, kind of like in a, a tile-based system. So, you know, if you push forward, you will move to the next tile. It doesn't necessarily look, look like a square or a tile, but you can kind of make sense of it. Um, so you can kind of push forward and move one step at a time, uh, or the equivalent as a, a bounty ball or a beach ball. Um, you can only turn in a 90-degree angle. So this game came out, I think, just before the introduction of the, the DualShock uh, controller. Um, but it also came out at the very, very kind of early inception of the, the rumble uh, feature of mm. the original PlayStation controller. Um, now, the rumble feature doesn't really qualify in any way as like a, a game mechanic for this, but it's, it's, a, 
it's a novel feature for the time. No HD rumble, mate. It's no HD rumble, no. But they can't tell how many ice cubes are in that ball. Um... But they play to the strengths of what the controller is. Okay, we've only got the D-pad. This is a 3D game. We'll just keep it completely digital and we'll only use, you know, the turning a 90-degree angle uh, and using this kind of tile-based system. Mm -hmm. So it's simple, but it hasn't aged. Um, Like, the only thing about this game that has aged is obviously what it looks like graphically. But even then, because it's so kind of very simple in its graphical approach... It still hasn't aged hideously as, say, like a Tomb Raider, you know. Um, uh, you probably saw when you were looking at clips of this. Like, it doesn't look... Um, it, it looks from the 90s, but, yeah, but it, it doesn't look from the 90s in a bad way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, like a lot of your hitchy polygonal bollocks does. Yeah. So, But I remember playing this as, uh, like, a, a 10-year-old at the time, and it really fucking... It opened my brain up to, like... You know, I'm thinking... Drugs. Like, yeah, well, I mean, you can take pills in this. <laughs> um, it does open up, like, the third axis, you know, uh, and it really gets you thinking on that, on that Z-axis, and... Um, you're thinking move- about house music a lot as well. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're moving around this environment, and you're like, okay, think about, like, did you ever play Monument Valley? I, I have never played it, but I have seen... I know what it is. Yeah, it, it's got a little bit of that, and... Um, the uh, the artist you mentioned earlier, um, MC Escher. MC Escher. There's a lot of that. Like you will uh, roll along a platform, and then you will kind of tip over the side of the platform. Mm-hmm. And so gravity doesn't work in the conventional sense that you will fall to the earth. It works in the sense that you're attached to the surface you're on. So as you roll over the edge, like you may change the complete axis you're on. So you're now on like the end of a column. And then what you can do is, um, if the, the column kind of go straight the other way you can either turn 90 degrees and roll along the other side of the column or you can keep going and go like on the underside of the column so you know that opens up like entire different parts of the map um so if you're like stuck wondering okay where the hell is the key to unlock the uh exit to this level there's a chance that you know you're rolling along the surface and the key is on the underside of that platform and you have to find a way to get to it um, and I'd never played a game like that, and there's very few games that kind of use that mechanic other than stuff like Monument Valley, which is a really, really kind of great example of adapting that to um, uh, mobile. And one of the other really cool features that I like it about it as well is the way that, um, first of all, uh, time, obviously, so each level has a, a, an in, a, a limited amount of time to complete the, the level. Uh, and there are uh, so the time is uh, indicated by um, uh, an hourglass at the top of the screen, and there are floating hourglasses in the levels. But the thing is, is if you hit a time uh, an hourglass, it doesn't increase the amount of time you have. It just flips the hourglass around. Yeah. So if you have just started the level, hit the hourglass, you are fucked. You've given yourself like five seconds to complete the level. So. That makes um, things like the hourglass, it makes it an uh, an optional thing to collect, but you also now have to kind of be tactical about when to collect it and not just mm-hmm. immediately uh, when you see it, which is a really nice little feature. Uh, and the other thing as well is the way that um, the game over works. So, you know, you don't get a continuous amount of lives. If you lose your score, then it is game over. 
Um, but what happens is, if you find uh, gems, if you collect them and you get to the end of the level, you know they add to your score. But the higher your score gets, if you die, the more of that score that you lose. And these gems are usually in quite hard to get places. So there's the risk reward of getting a load more gems to boost your score up against, you know, dying or falling off the platform or being captured with these kind of objects that chase you around and losing that score. Um, So it's a pretty unique approach that I haven't seen in a game uh, since that I can remember um, to to track death, basically, in the game. Um, uh, Other than that, uh, there are, like, fruits that you can collect that don't really, as far as I remember, don't really do much. They're just there to collect, like the strawberries and Celeste I've mentioned. Um, do you know? Do you know what I really appreciate about this game? Just to give you a momentary respite from sure. this kind of monologue. Um, it's something you don't really get anymore outside of the mobile space, where it's like, "Hey, what about this one? Me- what if this one mechanic was a game? You know? Yeah. It's it." It's that keep it simple, stupid thing. Yeah, and you wouldn't see that, that in like, like a, a physical the, release the game. The PS1 generation and there, then on, like I said, apart from until you get to the mobile space, it's as it's as antithetical to what all that was about. Like it's a, games nowadays are an arms race to how much shit can you fit in? Yeah, how much different stuff? Can you, we were talking about Yakuza Zero again a couple of weeks ago, and that game is about fourteen different genres in one game. Um, and I really like this whole just pairing it back. It's like we've got a ball, we've got it bouncing around, we've got some obstacles, we've got some collectibles. We don't need any more than that. And you know what? We've got right. some sick fucking house music yeah. going on. But you know what? And we say it and we joke about it, but it's so, so applicable. This game on the Switch. Yeah. Alright. You, you whack that on there for 15 quid. And I'm all over Dude, that. Dude, motion controls yeah. to, to navigate across. That would be... Well, I don't know, because like it doesn't control in the same way that like a super monkey ball does. Mm. You know, uh, Again, it's very digital. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's as applicable, because it would kind of be like, if you wanted to move forward, instead of tilting, you'd have to actually like flick the controller to mm. kind of register to move forward one space. So I don't think it is as applicable, though. Yeah, I would yeah. be curious to see it. But yeah, as you mentioned, fucking trippy as balls, house music. Yeah. It is the original Real play- Ministry of Sound sort of stuff. Going it's the original on. PlayStation. So yeah. it was like fucking Wipeout and that on everything else. Yeah. Um, and like, in fairness, that's the one thing the title, Cooler World, does sound like a kind of state that you end up in if yeah. you've had one too many yellow benteens <laughs> when you're in a beta. Uh,. But yeah, there are like bits in the games. There are like uh, pills that are floating around, and if I'll you bet there are. and if you collect them, the whole screen just goes blurry and trippy <laughs> as fuck. So that's as close as I've been to being like, on pills. This was super weird, yeah, man, wasn't it? It was. Um, there is a multiplayer game where it's okay. So it's basically like Simon Says, um, mm-hmm. or no? What's the um, uh, what the fuck is it? Is it Bop It where you have to kind of match the things that it wants you to do, like Bop, Twist It, yeah, whatever? Bop us, yeah, yeah. So what this is, um, <laughs> you nearly about to say is Bop It, the one where you get they get you to Bop It. Yeah, Bop It where you know you get to Bop Twist and like the things <laughs> yeah, you do. Know, yeah. Uh, so you'll start by doing two actions, whether it's moving forward, turning ninety degrees, or jumping. Once you've done that, 
the next player has to do those two actions and then adds their own two actions and you go on like that uh and that's it for like multiplayer again you'll play it like twice maybe and then you'll never come back to it but hey it's there so yeah it's it's a really like it's one of those games that if you had those early demo discs you probably haven't thought about for you know 15 years or so uh, but like you again, kind of... I you could have put the footage of this game in front of me, put a gun to my head, and said, "Tell me the name of that game," <laughs> and I would just say, "Just pull the trigger." Yeah, <laughs> there's no way. I mean, like Ball City. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Roll Away. It should I mean, be. It should be sake. Ball City. Um, but this game left a real lasting impression on me, and it, and it, you know, it is a platformer, so it still does. Yeah. scratch that itch you know but there's over fucking 200 levels to this game mm-hmm. and let me tell you like towards the tail end of this game man because you really have to think about the entire space that you have to explore and obviously you're working on a timer and you know you do have the uh, it you can hit game over so it's a game where you're gonna end up playing kind of the first 50 odd levels a few times because that's just what's gonna happen um so it's a real kind of like has that kind of old school game throwback edge to it. Guy, yeah, yeah, real throwback. Um yeah, I like it. I think it's a it's still a really interesting game and there's still like very few games like it. Give us your elevator pitch. Uh Cooler World is it's a bit fucking weird. It's a real kind of uh pure piece of gaming simplicity um that like kind of the big games these days, anything that's kind of released physically just can't do because there's no way to justify, you know, a 60 quid release. No. Um, but this is like, this is something that if you thought about today is going to be like 20 quid on the, the PS store or on the Switch store. Um, it's a real kind of mind bending puzzler uh, with some banging house tunes. And uh, yeah, just, just a really interesting game that is, you know, from this no-name developer. Um, and apparently, it's on Android. Mm. Uh, I couldn't find it, but I was talking to Peter about this last night, and he could. And yeah, fucking this just needs to be on the Switch yesterday. Um, yeah, that's cool, the world. By the way, before we wrap up, I remember the name of that documentary that Billy Mitchell was in as a nice guy, and it was Man vs. Snake, The Long and Twisted Tale of Never, ah, sure. that I reviewed on the podcasts last year at some stage. Um that's going to do it for episode 99 of Link to the Cast. Um, we will be centigen- cent- I can't remember the name for it. Centurion? Centurions, yes. Yeah. Yes, we'll be Centurions the next time you you speak with us. Um, there will be no... I, I don't have to do my usual bit where I announce the game for next week. It will be my turn, but it is episode 100 next week. So we will not have a game of the week. We'll be talking about many games of the week. Please tune in for that. It's going to be a super special episode. We're really looking forward to... Uh, unveiling that for you all um this podcast um is available on soundcloud itunes and most podcasting platforms just search for link to the cast subscribe there rate review tell a friend it all helps even a cheeky retweet or a fave on the on the tweet machine does help us get uh, cast a net a little bit wider snare some more of you guys in link to the cast.eu is the website if you want to get in touch drop us an email link to the cast at gmail.com is the email address but social media is the best way to get a timely response from us and to keep up with our latest content that's facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter i'm at day ryan iv on twitter mark is at lithium project 
Um, we've also got a couple of sister podcasts. Uh, we've got the Grap Up, which is our once every couple of months or so pro wrestling podcast uh, that usually features myself, Jack, uh, Mark and Barry. We just dropped one last week that Mark was not on. He was busy at the time. Uh, we were talking about uh, all things Royal Rumble and NXT TakeOver Philadelphia featuring... Um, a match that uh, one large David Meltzer gave all five snowflakes to. Um, so you can check out that grap up. We've also got another sister podcast that we call the Popcorn Social. Um, drops roughly once a month. Myself and Jack Lazell talking all things movie and TV. Uh, there'll be another one of those dropping in about a week and a half or so. Uh, once I'm back from my holidays and we have time to record it. So you can check all that out. It all drops in this same feed uh, with link to the cast. So you can uh, download those and listen to them or ignore them. Uh, whatever your whim is at that particular moment. Uh, for episode 99 of Link to the Cast, I have been Dave Ryan, the man over there has been Mark Robinson and we shall see you all next week for episode 100. Goodbye!